from Relay FM. This is Upgrade, episode 241. Today's show is brought to you by KiwiCo, Lunar Display, and Squarespace. My name is Mike Hurley, and I'm back. And of course, Jason Snell is here. Hi, Jason Snell. Hi, Mike Hurley. Welcome back to the Upgrade program. Thank you. I would like to thank John Syracuse for filling in last week. I always enjoy listening to Upgrade. Upgrade's a good podcast, so it's sometimes nice when I get to just appreciate it as an Upgradian <laughs> instead of a How'd host. I do with the uh, theme music last time? It was. It felt pretty right to, to me. I, I tried to emulate the mm-hmm. Mike Hurley creative choices with the theme music last week. Well, I uh, what I would say is I didn't start it and think, oh, Jason. So you must have done the right <laughs> job, right? Because usually you'll put in well, like variant right B or mm-hmm. something, right? Yes. So I appreciate I appreciate yes. uh, that, but nobody cares about this, literally, except okay. for me and you. So we should go into hashtag Snell Talk, <laughs> and we have a question from Dylan, and Dylan wants to know, Jason, what do you prefer, day travel or night travel? I prefer flying early in the morning and it getting up is terrible, but mm-hmm. it just, you can, I can do it. It's fine. I don't like getting up at four in the morning or whatever and going to the airport, although there's no traffic four in the morning and the lines are not terrible four in the morning. Um, but I prefer to do that for a few reasons. One is I live on the edge of the Pacific ocean, which means almost all of my travel is to the east. And um, the later you travel, the later you get there, like leading to the fact that if you travel too late, you are getting it's an overnight flight. It's like a red eye. Um, and then you're getting there the next day. And the problem is I don't live there and you, you, you don't flying a red eye when you don't have a destination where you can just kind of go home is not good because then you're it's 6 a.m. and you're on the streets of Boston or wherever and uh you can't go to your hotel. Your hotel won't take you in for another, um, you know, oh, eight hours, nine before. hours. Yeah, you're just stuck, and so right? <laughs> you're just a, 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 a zombie with a suitcase wandering the streets. I've done that. Mm-hmm. It's not good. Um, and so the red eye is not really practical for for me for something other than I suppose like if we came back from Hawaii on a red eye, which I've never done, that might work. The other big thing is that if you go in the morning, the planes generally. Uh, with the exception of of red eye flights, generally the airlines reset their planes in the morning, and the the, the plane has been sitting overnight at the gate uh, or in a hangar or wherever. But it's it's ready to go. You haven't had a chance for your flight to get delayed because the plane that your flight is on is delayed somewhere else in the country. It's already there, which means that uh, early in the morning there are no there are fewer delays and it's uh, more reliable to fly in the morning. So I generally try to fly first thing in the morning if I can manage it. Some Jason Snow travel hacks right there. That's oh yeah, oh yeah, deep deep stuff. So the people tune in for. I very quickly I, when I'm going to America, I like to leave early in the morning. When I'm coming home, I like to leave late at night. I fly overnight to Europe. Yeah, fl- yeah. overnight to Europe from the West Coast. It's such a long flight that it's really the only only way to do it. And mm-hmm. because it's, I know that's a red eye, but because it's an overnight flight to Europe, by the time I get to Europe, it's already in the afternoon. Mm-hmm. Uh, most of the time, I did once fly into London, and we got in at six a.m. Yeah, that's Again, a, that's bad. no place to go, just bad. a zombie. Mm-hmm. Not not good. Don't want that. Mm-mm. So um, this actually ties into a programming note. We're going to be a day late next week because Jason is traveling. Nothing's happening. There's no... Well, we don't know of any big news. We're not like holding yes. the episode because there's a new iPhone. No, there are no embargoes. That <laughs> well, I can, if I have of. an embargo... No, here's the thing. If I have an embargo, if I have something that is secret, I can't say that I have it. 
Mm-hmm. It's like the canary clause in, in one of those yep. contracts where like if you stop talking about it, then maybe it's true. Mm-hmm. Um, but if I don't have one and I say I don't have one, I'm not lying because I wouldn't lie. I would deflect or something, right. but I wouldn't lie about it. So I don't have anything. Do I have to ask you the question? Is I'm that going to a works? wedding. Oh, okay. okay. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to a wedding and, and uh, on Easter uh, Sunday, basically. And uh, I'm not getting back until Monday afternoon. And so we're going to do the podcast on Tuesday morning and yep. release it afterward. Like, so just one day late next week is what I'm saying. It'll be very similar to the uh, to the uh, one last week where we had to record late and released it late. It'll be, a, this in this case, it'll be a day late. It'll be okay. It'll be a good episode, though. I'll be awake, which I wouldn't be if we were recording it the day after a wedding while in a hotel room. So that's why we're delaying it. We're delaying it because we care. Uh, if you'd like to send in a question like Dylan did to open the show, hashtag SnellTalk is the way to do that. Um, we use Google Docs here at the Upgrade program. And as I look at it right now, the ghost of John Syracuse is hovering over this Google Doc. So it can only mean that it is time for follow-up. Do you see his little face there up in the corner? Yeah, he's, I he's do. He's hovering over us now, Well, we're, we're in. What's exciting, Mike, is that means that we're in one of his 1,000 open tabs. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I feel like I need to start leaving him some little messages or something. I don't know. Um, you've uh, published your iMac review. We've spoken a, p- a ton about this iMac over the last we have. Uh, few weeks. But I just kind of wanted to get the sense from you. Like, I have two little questions for you. One is, do you recommend this this iMac after having using it? And two, um, I've heard you mention this in a couple of places. You, you mentioned it in the article, too. about the, And I've heard this said in other places as well, like the idea that... Uh, there is a potential logic that a bigger change is coming to the iMac, uh, which is why this one has mostly remained the same except for some of the internals. I just wanted to uh, test the water of, do you think that there could be any wishful thinking in there? So there are my two things. One, would you recommend it to people? And two, do you think a, cha- a change coming soon could be a little bit of wishful thinking? I So the review is, I mean, it's almost like an essay, especially since I wrote about some of the performance stuff on Macworld before. It's kind of like an essay on the state of the iMac right now more than it is anything else. Um, I do think that if you are torn between the base model iMac Pro and and specking up a high-end iMac, that uh, unless you have some very particular need for some aspect of the iMac Pro, you shouldn't get the base model. I feel like okay. the... The high-end iMac is so much cheaper for basically the same performance. Uh, even if you put in the RAM and the and the SSD and everything and the, and the high-end video card and all of that, you're still going to save, you know, a thousand dollars, eight hundred dollars over the iMac Pro, and that's real money <laughs> for the differences being like unless one of those differences really matters to you. So I feel like. What this really has done is is kind of pushed the iMac Pro. Like, if you want a, an iMac Pro and are going to spec it up to the like the 10 core model or one of the even more expensive models, then yes, of course, get the iMac Pro. But if you're just thinking, well, maybe I could eke out the five thousand dollar model, I think you should um, seriously consider not doing that. Now, I have the base model iMac Pro and I'm happy with it, but part of that is that I do podcasts and the uh, the fan is silent in this, and that's for th- sort of reason enough for me. But um, I, it would even so, it would still be a harder decision. Plus, you can if you don't need the RAM, you can actually buy less RAM because the base model iMac comes with 32 iMac Pro, and I think the iMac you can you can spec lower than that. So there's uh, there's other ways to save money 
as well. And it comes with a terabyte SSD in the iMac Pro. And, and if you wanted to save money, you could do that and save even more. Um, I think... I think my larger view of these iMacs, and it, it, we have yeah discussed it at length here, is this is the 2012 design. <laughs> uh, something's got to give. The fact that this is the last new Mac uh, with a without a T2 processor in it suggests to me that this is. I mean, I feel like it's inevitable that there will be a new iMac that will be very different technically. And it's unclear when that will come, and will that be? Uh, will this just continue to be an Intel Mac? until uh, Apple switches to ARM? Or will there be a new generation that is an Intel iMac that has presumably smaller bezels and a rethought cooling system and no spinning hard drives and stuff like that? I, I feel like that change is inevitable, um, that this is the end of the line, and that this feels like uh, modern processors in old tech. And you know that's fine it's a really good computer and very powerful and you can spec it up to a lot and and if you need an iMac you should i i'd say go ahead and get it but at the same time i do look at it and think it's kind of an outlier at this point it's not a modern mac in some senses in some ways that might be good it, they're probably going to be things you know several years out from now there are going to be things it can't do <laughs> because it, it doesn't have a t2 processor there's probably going to be things that it can do that modern macs are shut away from because apple's like no 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 <laughs> you can't like i don't know running old operating systems and things like that i i don't know it's a quirky thing where it's it's uh not what you expect from a brand new mac in 2019 but that said a lot of that stuff is for the future and is charting apple and its general direction with computers uh, and it doesn't take away from the fact that it is, you know, these they have great screens. Um, you can power up that 4K iMac if you don't need a giant screen in your face. That that 4K iMac is can be made pretty powerful too, including having uh, powerful graphics and a, not the not the super high end ninth generation Intel processors, but a pretty powerful processor in it. So you know they're good. I just think on the larger story this is apple kicking the can down the road a little bit and I, I you know i'm a little frustrated by that but i am you know i, I don't think it really affects whether it's a good computer or not i just i'm okay. a little frustrated and it makes me wonder why they're doing it and it may be as simple as they have other mac stuff that they're working on and the imac sells pretty well as it is and they and they don't want the imac to maybe get painted in the corner like the uh like the the macbook and the macbook air where the added expense of a brand new imac without spinning hard drives as an option would mean that the whole imac line got more expensive and that they would be you know I think they're price conscious with the iMac because they sell a lot of base model iMacs. It wouldn't shock me if uh, they take the 27-inch and do a new version of that in the future that is modern. Isn't that how the Retina started? Yeah, the 5K came in 2014. I had forgotten this because I bought the 5K iMac and it's right when I started as an independent. Uh, the next year, the 4K iMac, yeah. the 21.5, got, got Retina. So it, that may happen again where we see a totally brand new 27-inch iMac or other dimension, who knows, um, and that the 21.5 can stay down there um, in the price line with the non-retina version and even a mm -hmm. retina version with spinning discs, and that'll be a cheaper one, and that will allow them to price up the, the big I also one. guess in a funny way, the iMac Pro is kind of like that too, right? Where it's just like it's the very top 
and like size wise the most expensive one and they did a bunch of weird stuff to it which will eventually some of it will find its way into the product lineup you'd assume right like in the way that things have gone in the past i would assume although it's weird because i i feel like the imac really needs a uh, an external redesign and maybe oh, it I doesn't but, that, but 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 it's 7 years old right and and we live in a world where everybody's pulling in the bezels and the funny thing about the imac pro is internally i think it is what Apple wants Macs to be because it's mm-hmm. got the T2 and it's SSD only. Um, externally, it's just a space gray version of the 2012 design. Mm-hmm. So it's not there either. But it's possible that, yeah, it's possible that we, we don't know the final fate of the iMac Pro either, right? Like it was designed in a world where there was no Mac Pro, but there is going to be a Mac Pro. So it's also not impossible that the iMac Pro is a one-off. Yeah, one and, and done. And that they do a new iMac 27 that has the ability, maybe they maybe they even design it so that they can sell a, you know, a high-end thing that's even more high-end than what's in the iMacs today. And they say, beyond this, you should just get our external display and a Mac Pro because yep. the the need for the iMac Pro goes away in that scenario. Uh, on last week's episode, uh, you noted a Ming-Chi Kuo report that suggested that the uh, mythical 16-inch MacBook Pro was delayed. Um, it turns out that report was incorrectly translated. Um, the The report was mostly about uh, the external monitor. And the, when it was originally translated from Ming-Chi Kuo, uh, it, it, it was believed that he was saying that the MacBook Pro was coming later, but it's actually not mentioned at all. So... There is currently nothing to suggest that the MacBook Pro is going to not meet its original time frame, whenever that may be. So basically, right. the idea of it not coming out this year, there's nothing to say that now. Right. That was a we mentioned it yeah. very briefly last week in that interim where there were these initial resp- reports saying that he said it wasn't going to happen, and then we uh, and then we got a better translation that said that's totally wrong and mm-hmm. that's not what it says at all. And last piece of follow-up, uh, we'll talk about this more over the coming weeks. For sure. As of this morning, Jason's uh, 2018 iPad Pro Bridge keyboard arrived. Yeah, Bridge sent me one that they say is one of the first ones off of the final. Remember, I had a couple months ago, I had a prototype. This is They say the final, and they're, they're producing them, and they're going to start fulfilling orders. Um, it looks like it's going to happen in early May. I think if you order now, it's coming for May. But I re- I believe they originally said that some would start shipping in April, which seems possible. Yeah, I don't think that's going to happen. I think okay. that I think that it's it's all going to be shipping in in early May, and it looks good so far. Although again, I just I I ran a little typing test on it and got to, I typed it at full speed and it worked. But you know, I want to live with it for a while. I will say that I uh, having the old bridge on the old iPad Pro. Uh, that it kind of ruined me like to the point where i am in those situations now with the smart keyboard and i'm like okay like i'm just not super enthusiastic and smart keyboard's fine but uh i find myself uh longing for the the better keys of the of the bridge keyboard so i'm looking forward to trying it out and i'm very excited about that it's getting a little warmer weather uh, do, doing more work outside in the backyard. It's very nice to have that uh, set up with, a, with the bridge keyboard. So I'll report more as I use it. All right. So let's talk about Disney+. Plus. So uh, there was a investor meeting 
um, this this past week where Disney we gave a bunch of details about Disney Plus. So I'm going to run through a bunch of these and then we can kind of wrap it up a little bit just to keep everyone on the page of what we do here in the upstream segment of Upgrade. So it's going to be launching in the US on November 12th. It will cost $6.99 a month or $69.99 a year which is a really nice price. By the end of year one, there will be 7,500 episodes of TV shows, some that will be currently on air, some off air, so like some effectively vault stuff. Um, There will be 25 original series all by the end of the first year. And one of the key things, I think, that uh, brings that total number up to 7,500 is all 30 seasons of The Simpsons will be on Disney+. Plus. Um, There will be 400 movies on the service as well. 10 will be original, again, all within the first year. It's ad-free, so that that price, that $6.99 a month, that's all it is. There's no ads. They're putting it everywhere they can. Smart TVs, games, consoles, it's on the web, it's in apps. Um, According to Bob Iger, they're going to put it on Apple platforms, probably the Apple TV, but we don't know how much that will be yet. Um, international rollout is going to be happening steadily. Um, they're going to be hoping to be doing West Europe and the Asia Pacific also in Q4, because uh, so by the end of the year, um, and then Eastern Europe and Latin America in 2020. Um, but they need the reason that they're staging it out a little bit is they need to wait for rights to expire in those regions. Uh, as expected, they're locking up the big movies, so you're only going to be able to stream movies like Captain Marvel, Toy Story 4, Avengers Endgame, or Frozen 2 on Disney+. Plus. It's the only place you'll be able to stream them. And they previewed a bunch of original programming, including some new stuff. So the things that they spent some time talking about was John Favreau's Star Wars series The Mandalorian. Uh, there's a Rogue One prequel starring Diego Luna a Clone Wars series, uh, a Monsters, Inc. series called Monsters at Work, and then there's a bunch of Marvel stuff, including a Loki TV show, a show called WandaVision, which is Wanda and the Vision, The Falcon and the Winter Soldier, and Hawkeye. And those four sh- those four shows all include the A-list movie actors reprising right. their roles. Yep. Pretty big, right? They won't, they're not pretty, kidding around. Pretty big. Pretty big. I, I should say for, for clarity's sake that uh, when we say... Um, you can only stream them on Disney Plus. My understanding is that you know they're still going to sell. You know, you still be able to go to iTunes. It's not the and, only digital place you'll be able to get right, them and but rent you won't it be and able all that. Stream them. You yeah. only have a streaming service. It'll be they're going to wait for all the Netflix contracts to expire and things like that, and then they will disappear from Netflix. And uh, and Captain Marvel is the first where they. It is the first movie that is not touched by their contract on netflix so it will never go to netflix and all the rest of them will slowly just drip off of netflix and disappear Mm -hmm. and i imagine you know the same thing is going to happen to all of the disney animation stuff and all the pixar stuff it's all going to drain out of netflix and then reappear on disney plus along with all those movies that disney puts in the you know the vault where Mm -hmm. they they don't sell them for a while those are all going to be on this service but the um but the big thing here is the price, right? Like this is a super aggressive price. It's way less than other services like Netflix especially charge. It's way less than anybody really expected Apple to charge. And Apple has no catalog and just some originals that are not tied to these mega brands that Disney owns. Um, and uh, I talked about this with Tim Goodman last week on our TV podcast that we do. And, um, you know, he, he believes, and I think he's right, that this is uh, a real... Uh, wake up call if they didn't expect it already for Apple that um, it's hard to imagine how Apple can come into the market with something at nine ninety nine or fourteen ninety nine when all they have is originals 
And it's starting to make me reconsider. Not sure I believe the people who are like, well, the only way they need to do, they just need to give it away for free. Like, mm, I'm not, I still don't believe, Ben Thompson wrote about this today, like that Apple's business model is, is like Amazon's is really to kind of like build a, a nice home where they can resell all of these other uh, streaming services. And, I, you know, that's true, but they also want to make money on their own service. I do think that this makes it harder. Now, I, I just, I don't think Disney... <laughs> I think Disney cares so much about this that they are willing to take a loss on this in the short term in order for the larger benefits. I would put money down that in five years, Disney Plus costs a whole lot more than $7 a month. Yeah, yeah. But to go out with that, not say it's introductory, but they'll raise the price in two or three years, right? Not say it's an introductory rate because it's technically not. They, can just, they will just have to raise the price later. But with this, so aggressively with so much content... Um, that I think I saw somebody say, if you're a child or were once a child, <laughs> this is this is for you. And they had slides in their presentation showing the demographic reach in in terms of age and gender of their properties. And they're like, here it is for Disney, here it is for Pixar, here it is for Marvel, here you know. And they went through all here it is for Star Wars. And then they did the final overlay, which is like, so here is our dem- demographic reach for the service as a whole. And Everyone. that slide was basically like, it's every everybody. Are you are you alive? Then we are going to hit. Are you. you getting it yet? This isn't just one demographic yeah. reach. Yeah. So it, I do think that in in to put it in Apple terms, if I'm Apple, um, there's no way I, there's no way that I can price my service above Disney Plus and expect it to be taken seriously. Mm-hmm. Um, they might still do it, but like I I feel like. They're going to have to dig deep, like if they want to grow. I also think, and Tim mentioned this last week, I also think if I look at this, I think Apple really does. If Apple is really in on this and truly wants to compete with Disney, with Netflix, with Warner Media, if they want to be at that level, and I'm not sure they do, maybe they do just want to be... Um, a little more like Amazon and create an ecosystem that's got some originals and resell channels and just kind of be that. But if they want to be more, if they really want to want to up their game and compete at this level, they're you know Tim's point and I agree with him is they're going to have to start buying um, companies that have intellectual property, right? Because wow. Apple is Apple is making deals with companies that have intellectual property, like you know Amazing Stories or something like that, and with stars. Like not stars the cable channel stars like you know Reese Witherspoon uh, to make shows. Um, Disney owns Star Wars and Marvel and the whole Disney intellectual right. property catalog, and and it makes you it makes me think that if Apple really wants to play at that level, they're going to have to start buying entertainment companies with with catalogs with with back catalog content and intellectual property content. But let me ask you though, Jason, what's left? There's stuff out there. Um, you know, it, it's not. You know, I think I think they could potentially make a move for for Sony. I'm not a, a, a te- an industry you know entertainment industry business investment expert here, but like Sony is a weird thing where Sony says they're committed to it, but it's sort of like a very weird business. Um, CBS and Paramount, the whole Viacom stuff, um, they could they could swallow that if they if they wanted to. Like they've got the money to buy some of these companies that are not. If it's not owned by Disney or Warner or Comcast, 
I'd say it's kind of up for grabs. Yeah, I, I, so I get, there's there's I, stuff I the out point. there. It, I, there's, you kind of get what I'm saying. It's not a lot. It's not necessarily the blue chip stuff, yeah. right? And we and we and when I mentioned Warner, like uh, I had this discussion again. Blue Disney has a lot of the blue chip stuff, but Warner, if it wanted to for its streaming service, it has Batman, it has Harry Potter. Oh, Warner have an incredible. Like honestly, I, mean, I, I said this before. You put Harry Potter in this conversation, and we're we're talking a different game now because that is a massive franchise. And and I don't know who I need to talk to at Warner to convince them to make a Harry Potter TV show. Uh, but they got to do it at some point, I think. Right, um, right for like, for streaming, and and yeah. the same is true for like I mean Game of Thrones. That has been the HBO strategy, but that is a. That is a Warner property, and they could do some other mm-hmm. stuff with that too. So they've got them, and that's the power of it. Like, so you know, for Apple, I, I'm not sure they want to play at this level, but I, and I'm not sure they want the overhead, the burden of owning like a whole studio. And I think this is going to be a real test of what Apple really wants to do here. Yeah, because there's there's two ways. Well, there's three ways for them to go. One way for them to go is to be like, hmm. Look, this is really just a hobby, <laughs> and we just we're gonna make some shows, but it's not a you know it's not a major tentpole of our business, and I it's just part of to say part of our anymore. thing. I I think I think you're right, but that that's the that's the kind of option zero. Option one is we're gonna be doing this resell and also a bunch of originals, and we'll build a catalog up over time. But what and we're gonna be you know in playing in that game with a kind of niche. Uh, streaming channels as well as our own reselling of other people's stuff and that's what we're going to do which might be okay but it's never going to set the world on fire or they need to load up and say well we're in this we're, we're in this to be an entertainment powerhouse and because the fact is the entertainment giants are enormous now and they have gotten bigger disney's buying fox most of fox you know comcast buying warner like they are huge with deep pockets and they uh, and and then they have intellectual property and they know that they need to win the streaming wars or they're in deep trouble mm-hmm. and so apple if apple wants to be in that fight at that level they can do it but they're going to have to spend billions on intellectual property they can't they can't make it work by just licensing some stuff here and there so if they wanted to buy a bunch of you know loose studios that are out there then they could do that like if they want to buy viacom and cbs then they can pick up star trek and they can do that i mean you can already see cbs on its own is sort of like we're going to build a whole streaming service on the back of star trek and even though there's only one show there now there are like five shows in development mm-hmm. and that that is not as effective for cbs because they've got nothing else in that vein anyway they're trying um whereas disney can say we've got star wars and marvel and pixar and disney and nat geo right so uh it's a it's a challenge for cbs as a smaller company and and viacom with sister company basically um and they're they're floating out there and i think it's going to be what we are focused on apple here so we talk about like apple needs to decide if it wants to step up if i'm um Anybody else? So Justin Marks, who is the uh, showrunner of Counterpart, uh, one of my favorite shows of the last decade, uh, two seasons on Stars, and then canceled. And he was tweeting about this because it, it, you know, nobody could find his show. Nobody knew about his show. Couldn't. It wasn't really marketed very well. Nobody could see it. You have to sign up for this totally separate thing. And so he was coming from that perspective when he said, "If you're one of these like small players, without the money to put in the game." 
forget it. <laughs> you know, he said, maybe I'm a little bit bitter, but forget it. And I think he's right. I think, I think, um, rightly or wrongly, and I don't think it's great. If you're a, if you're a, a niche player in like a genre, like, um, like shutter for horror or Britbox or Am or Britbox or Acorn or Crunchyroll, um, maybe right because that is a you're you're feeding a very specific audience. But if you're sort of like stars and you're like, oh, we just do shows that people like, I don't know, I don't know if in the long run if you're going to be able to make that work. So that that's part of this. And stars is I think Lionsgate. So there's just a real question about like if these small entertainment companies are going to have to. If there's going to be a run of, of purchases or mergers or something in order to give them the scope that they need, uh, or if they're going to get picked off by the other big fish in this, which could also happen. Amazon and Apple, yeah, but also, you know, Comcast and Netflix mm-hmm. and uh, and Disney and Warner. Those are all out there, too. I think that maybe it's because of stuff like this why there, we didn't find out any pricing information about apple tv plus like it's a it wouldn't have been the only reason but i reckon it's a reason i am also starting to adjust my um my thinking on this uh i don't think that apple tv plus will be straight up free but i think you will get it with any other service you pay for so like if you pay for apple music you'll get it or if you pay for apple arcade you'll get it I think that's the most likely scenario, honestly. If I if I had to pick one scenario right now, I would say that Apple video, Apple TV Plus will cost something like nine ninety nine, yep, or seven ninety nine. But it will really not be that if you buy any other Apple service. Yeah, that it'll be it either free, free yep. or it will be almost nothing. But maybe even free, just mm-hmm. so you know, Apple Music subscribers get Apple TV Plus. And that that fits, actually, it fits both models, right? Because it fits the people who say they're going to give it away. And it fits the people who say they can't give it away. They got to charge for it. Yeah. Well, they'll do both. They'll give it away, essentially. give it away. I don't think they can no, get I, away I, with that. I agree. I agree. So they will charge you for it if the, it's the, literally the only Apple service you want, they will charge you for it. Uh, I think that's the most likely scenario. But that they will either deeply discount or give away mm-hmm. if you are an existing subscriber to something else. Um, or maybe just like music or something like that. And this is, it puts the uh, Hulu deal that Spotify made into some extra context, right? Yes. Where if, if, if Spotify's <laughs> biggest competitor yeah. is uh, is starting a TV service uh, that they may give away for free with your Apple Music subscription, they can differentiate, right? Because you can't differentiate on a music catalog. You can only differentiate on on other stuff like uh, premium, uh, like TV shows that are exclusive or podcasts that are exclusive for Spotify side. And they made the deal with Hulu, where they're you know if you're a Spotify member, you can get the ad supported version of Hulu, which still has a charge for free. And I right it like that's the kind of way to survive right now is you gotta you gotta do that because their competitors totally gonna do that. So it's it's very interesting, very interesting stuff. It is going to be a wild ride. But I think Apple, I think we need to watch Apple and see what their, uh, you know, what level of player do they want to be here. Today's episode is brought to you by KiwiCo. 
When you're looking for fun activities for kids, it's a bonus if it's something that they can learn from as well. But finding projects that are actually fun whilst also being educational is hard to do. And that is where KiwiCo comes in. They have an amazing selection of hands-on projects for kids of all ages. Here's how it works. You sign up for a KiwiCo subscription, and every month you receive a crate full of exciting projects to take part in. These projects have been designed to encourage confidence and creativity. There are hundreds of hands-on projects covering science, technology, engineering, art, and math they have crates for all ages there's an option for kids from ages 0 to 16 plus and there's even a crate called the eureka which is for everyone from ages 14 to 104 so when i say kids for all ages i also mean people of my age too but jason i know that you got a kiwi co-crate i want to know what crate you got and what you thought of the the pieces and the projects and the instructions and that kind of stuff so i've got the tinker crate here Mm -hmm. which is for uh teenagers and up and i am up and it is a kit for uh, a walking robot. And it's very cool. So it's got an electric motor in here in the packaging. Electric motor with a battery. Um, it's got a bunch of uh, little gears and little parts. And it's got some cardboard uh, pieces for or particle board, maybe, pieces for the legs. And the idea is you get a little assembly project where you, uh, where you put the guy together uh, piece by piece and, uh, you know, attach it all. And you've uh, made something. And then... You turn it loose in your house and it terrorizes your cat. I think that's pretty much the plan. And I haven't assembled it yet, but I suspect I will be doing that this week. And it's uh, it's adorable. And if you want a head, you 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 uh, you can use basically provide your own spherical object. So like stick a tennis ball on the top, or the head <laughs> is not functional. The head is to just make it more uh, personified. So you can use a uh, you can use a tennis ball or a balloon or something and, and give yourself a, a terrifying robot face or a happy robot face, depending. You can change the way your kids play with KiwiCo. Go to KiwiCo.com slash Ahoy and get your first crate free. Now, let me spell that for you. That is K-I-W-I-C-O dot com slash A-H-O-Y. K-I-W-I-C-O dot com slash Ahoy. It's a great way to encourage learning in a way that your kids are going to enjoy. Our thanks to KiwiCo for their support of Upgrade and all of Relay FM. So, I... Every morning, every Monday morning, I sit down and I plan out what we're going to talk about. And I take a look Mm -hmm. at the things you recommend and I take a look at the news and I had a whole document ready. And then a couple of hours before we recorded today, friend of the show, Guillaume Rambo, who's at 9to5Mac, published a, I'm going to say, German-like report uh, about iOS 13. This is a very interesting report. Uh, it's full of tantalizing information. Yeah, yeah. You know, uh, Guillermo Rambo and uh, and Steve Trotten Smith have made their name by analyzing things that have been that have been like sent out from Apple accidentally or uh, hidden in places. This that may be true here. He's not revealing how he got this information, but it says according to people familiar with the development which makes it seem like this is uh, these guys have stepped up their game or people mm-hmm. have inside apple or have noticed them i am and expecting it's a combination of all of that right yeah. like knowing the way cuz uh, steve Trouton smith is credited with helping uh, yes. with the article and knowing yeah. how they work and the fact that Guy is now part of 9 to 5. I expect it is a combination of all of that. Like that there is some code mining, there is some sources and that kind of stuff. Um, but this is a... We're going to go through all the kind of the major things that are mentioned in this article. But just at a top level, this feels like a very complete list of things. Like 
the, the, the stuff that we're going through, I can imagine Apple standing on stage and saying, this is iOS 13, and that being it. And that's when I say it's almost like Gurman-like, in that it reminds me of the way that Mark Gurman has done stuff in the past, especially at 9to5Mac. He, he would write lots of reports like pretty much just like this one, right? And this is not to um, belittle anything that's been done here, but it's just I think it's actually a, uh, a compliment because... You know, Mark Gurman kind of owned this space for a very long time. And I think it's interesting to see um, somebody else, uh, other people kind of stepping up and putting their name on this stuff. And again, we will see what happens, right? Like, we will see how right or wrong this ends up being. But I feel like this is a, this feels like a, a list that I look at and be like, yeah, that makes sense. So. Yeah, I think the only question I've got, I, I, I t- tend to believe what they're reporting is probably true. Again, with the caveat, and we mentioned this last week, the caveat that things can change, right? Like mm-hmm. there's intent for this to be in iOS 13 doesn't mean it will because something could happen and they could decide not to ship something. It's entirely possible that things will fall out. But I'm inclined to believe that this is all real. I am also inclined to believe that it's not necessarily everything. Um, but it's so right. So, so I don't view it as maybe like a complete list, no. but that it is a list of things that are currently planned to be in iOS yeah. 13. When we w- see when it I at say the like, announcement at WWDC, when I say it's a complete list, it's like you could show me this and I would be content with it. But like okay. I, I expect there's more because plus there's pieces that are completely missing from like there's nothing here about shortcuts, and I'm expecting that they will do something with that, right? You know, there's nothing here about marzipan, and that's going to affect the iPad in other ways. But just as like, hey, here are your tentpole features for iOS, I can see some of this stuff being the majority of it. So let's go through it. System-wide dark mode, including a high-contrast option similar to macOS. So there's two parts of it here. System-wide dark mode, that's amazing. High contrast is an option in macOS display settings, which basically puts big, thick lines or thicker lines around a lot of things. I actually use high contrast um, mm. because I like the way it looks. Uh, right. but, you know, this this to me feels like two things. You have a dark mode for people that want to use it, and then high contrast, which is another accessibility option that is added in to go along with the dark mode. Um, system-wide dark mode is something people wanted for a long time. It feels like something... It feels like it's something that's difficult to implement, but feels like a low-hanging fruit, right? It feels like something that would make a lot of people very happy and would make your products look amazing on the OLED screens that they have. Yeah, also, the since Mac and iOS are going to share apps, and Mac has a dark yep. mode, yep. this allows the dark mode stuff to be equivalent across. Yep, which makes perfect sense right like it's like when you start tying you know you feel like um you know the meme of charlie day from always sunny with the string in the room right and like you're just putting all the stuff together but when you start when you think about um when you think about marzipan and then you think about all of the other things that can can come away from that if you start thinking about there has to be a bridge between ios and the mac stuff like this starts to fall out it's like well what do you do about dark mode well you have to have one is what you have to do so yeah. um i think that's that's really interesting it's really it's, i'm i'm excited for for a dark mode so this is one that is okay multiple windows on the ipad so this is something that mark german's been talking about for a while like windows on the ipad now mm-hmm. i'm gonna need to just read this quote verbatim from the article because i can't i don't think i can do a good job of summing it up right so i'm just gonna read it 
Each window will also be able to contain sheets that are initially attached to a portion of the screen, but can be detached with a drag gesture, becoming a card that can be moved around freely, similar to what an open source project called PanelKit could do. These cards could be stacked on top of each other and used as a depth effect to indicate which cards are on top and which are on the bottom. Cards can be flung away to dismiss them. So I took a look at what uh, Rambo referenced PanelKit, and the way that I would describe this thing is, you know, when you're in an app and you get a little popover. So maybe you type in the search field and you get a little pop up and you can see the results falling down into it. Imagine being able to tap that and drag it away. Right. So now it becomes its own little floating window over the top of the application. And I will put a link in the show notes to the GitHub project panel kit, which has a little animated GIF, which can show which shows you what it looks like. And it might give you an idea for that. The thing that confuses me, though, and there still isn't really any kind of um, explanation for, like, what do windows mean? What does that mean? Right? And and uh, I feel like nobody really knows yet. Right? Like, right. it's like, oh, there's going to be windows. Yeah, but what does that mean, though? Like, that's the key part, that right now it feels like nobody's seen it, but people are talking about it. Yeah, uh, our chat room is pointing out that the guy who built PanelKit works at Apple now. Hey, oh, there you go. Which Aloha. is funny. So, so, um, I uh, yes, we had this conversation a while ago about like what does a multi-window world look like? It's presumably not the Mac. Although one of the things that this enables is uh, <laughs> a conceptual window, Mike, <laughs> which is uh, I don't know what that is, but the idea is that you say, okay, my app has a window, and it's a marzipan app. Um. It doesn't necessarily mean that that window behaves the same way on the Mac as on iOS, potentially, mm-hmm. right? Like on the Mac, it might be a window, like on the Mac. Right, like because we have Windows, now. Windows could just be the renaming of what we currently have, right? They could just call every section in multitasking, it's just its own window, right? Like it doesn't mean free-floating with open-closed dialogues, like it's, you know. I think more likely it means something that's more like what we think of as iPad multitasking, where you've got uh, tiles mm-hmm. of of instead of different apps you've got tiles of yeah. different windows um it's possible that it's it's tabs that would I, be another I way to do it i just cannot imagine right which is what people think like there is a way that you could see an ipad app in front of your desktop like in front of your home screen i just can't imagine that and i think that's what people's mind jump to when they say well, windows sure. people are thinking the time, about right? about the the mac or windows and i think this is much more what is the iPad? What is Apple's conception for a next generation kind of like flexible interface? And why do you need Windows in an app? And the, the the best example, and Safari does this now, but the best example is what if I have a text editor with two documents I want to have open, or three documents I want to have open? You you can't really do that. You can switch among them, but it's like not the system doesn't let you do what you can do on the Mac, which is just have multiple documents mm-hmm. open, and they can be in a picker, they could be in tabs, they could be yes, they could be in overlapping windows, and I would be surprised if. Apple says, sure, just make a bunch of windows and have them overlap. I, I doubt that is going to be the approach. But uh, the the little floaters, the have, taking the popovers and dragging them out is interesting because that is going to create a layered interface potentially. But you would have to want to do that to yourself. And in some apps, that would be super convenient because you you want a floater that you can refer to or tap on, but you want to be able to kind of move it around where it needs to be so it isn't obscuring content in other places. And it would then also be analogous to to a floating palette on the Mac, which would be a positive. 
New undo gesture. So this would be a three finger tap onto the keyboard and then sliding left and right to undo, undo or redo. Now, okay, okay, okay. All right, okay. Yeah, now, all right. All right. <laughs> I'm, un- I'm unhappy with this because what do I do when I un- need to undo something that's not taxed? Right. Now, this is a great idea for text. Like, yes, brilliant. But this doesn't solve the problem, right? Like, the problem is not solved here. You've just augmented the issue. Uh, if there's no keyboard, you still have to shake to undo, presumably. Yeah. And and that, uh, the, you know. The thing I use shake to undo for the most is, the, is like uh, misfiling or misdeleting uh, a, an email message in mail. Yeah. Yeah. Where I swipe the wrong way and I'm like, oh no. And then I have to shake my iPad, which is ridiculous. Mm-hmm. I'll also point out there's already an undo button on the keyboard. On the keyboard. Yeah. It's already in the little the quick I bar. I don't understand. So, I don't understand this. I don't really know what. I don't think it's solving the. What I will say is I, I have like. I had like a whole big thing I wanted to talk about with this undo thing at some point, And I just. I, I haven't got the energy for it but like i think that the, the undo situation on ios is more of a perceived problem than an actual problem um i think people think it's an issue more than it actually is an issue because it is possible to undo text with the keyboard right but like people know that the shake to undo exists so they're like oh shake to undo that's ridiculous it was like yeah but like what do you do right do you want to put it in control center like where are you going to put it now if you have a keyboard you can use command z most of the time but there has to be some kind of like system-wide way of doing it. This still isn't that. This doesn't solve the problem. It's nice to have more ways to do it. It's nice to do more like trackpad-like things with the with with iOS. But this is not a fix to undo, which is probably not too big of a problem in the first place. I mean, I know that shaking your iPad is silly, but like it doesn't bother me that much in all honesty. But that's my that's my feeling on the whole undo situation. But I don't think that this gesture fixes what people want fixed because it's for the keyboard. It's redundant, right? Like it's it's a redundant thing. It's a button, which is way easier than a gesture anyway. And it's also now we have a three finger gesture. I, I'm that is a very even if they they say oh well they'll put up a thing that teaches you how to use it. Like still counting the fingers. It's kind of a power user gesture. Yeah. There's already the two finger put on the keyboard to move the cursor around the screen. So now we're going to add a three finger gesture that will let you undo back and forth rather than just tapping the undo button. Mm-hmm. It does. I mean, again, maybe it's the way that this has been reported. And then when we see it, we'll, we'll, we'll say, oh, like, oh, oh that, that makes sense. much more sense. But it's like, oh, it's actually system wide, right? Like you can do it in any app and it will work, right? Like whatever. We'll see. But even then it's an obscure, you know, multi-finger yeah. gesture. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Uh, Safari to automatically request desktop websites, in quotes, when necessary. Now, this is a feature we have both really wanted, but I am really keen to see what the details are of that. Like, how does it know? Yeah. Is there is there a list of sites like YouTube where it's like, no, no, just always do it that Apple provides? Or uh, what I've wanted for a while is what Safari on the desktop has, which is a whole bunch of per domain Mm-hmm. settings that you that you can change and you can say don't autoplay video on this site and all of that and that's what i'd really like to see in safari on the ipad so that i could say always load the desktop version of this site 
block, you know, don't autoplay video on this site and all of that stuff and have it all be yeah. available pr on a per site basis because that seems to make the most sense, right? Is that yep. you get frustrated that a site keeps pushing you into mobile view and you just say, don't ever do that again. Well, here's and what I would like. Care of. I would like that so I could tell it, but I want Apple to use their differential privacy data to know if people are doing this and then just do it. Oh, yeah. That's that's nice. If if some everybody forces it into desktop mode, we're going to just uh, make it a rule yeah. that that gets forced into desktop mode. So then for most Sounds users, great. they never need to set the uh, set the websites themselves, right? Because it should just be doing it on its own. Yeah, because it'll learn from user behavior. And I, I, that would be uh, fantastic. It's a question about uh, iOS productivity, right? That's one of the big things here. And there's a bunch of stuff I've already spoken about here, which will make huge, you know, they're like, they're big points. And there was some stuff about like, trying to come up with collaboration systems so that like third party apps can can have better collaboration within them. Font management is <laughs> one of these things like custom keyboards that I never thought I would see yeah. in iOS. Yeah, you can do it now, but you have to install a profile that contains yeah. fonts, which is bananas. And mm -hmm. they say that there's just going to be a setting and you're going to have a, a be able to have a font picker and there'll be links to it and you can you'll be able to install uh, custom fonts. This will make me so happy, Jason, because like I have, you know, I, I deal with a lot of paperwork and I like to use custom fonts and I have to install these like 10 individual profiles using like an app like any font every single yep. time I get a new device and I always forget and it takes forever and it's just like the worst. <laughs> I hate it. I only do it like once a year, but I put it off for like six months, right? Yeah. And so I will be very happy to be able to do real font, real font management on iOS. Woo! See, finally, you'll be able to do real font management. Yeah. But like, I am genuinely excited about it. Um, upgrades to mail, including smart categorization features and a read later queue. Who woke up at Apple and decided that they were going to try and make an actual like 2019 mail app? What is Somebody. going on? Like, this is wild to me. I'm I'm very pleased about it. Right? Like, so smart categorization would be like. This is a newsletter. This is important, right? That The stuff that you see in Gmail, the stuff that you see in lots of third-party apps, read later is snoozing, right? But these types of features coming to mail, that is really exciting because do you know what, everybody? All mail applications are bad and Apple could make theirs a lot better than it is already. Yeah. And, and a lot of us just use mail on iOS, right? A lot of us do yeah. not chase the endless trying to find the like ideal me. mail client. And I, I just use mail, and it's not very good. And I would love for it to be better. And this this is the type of stuff they should be... Th these are like table stakes for making a modern mail app, is using smarts and adding features. So very excited about that. New gestures to allow for the selection of multiple items in collection and table views. Basically, this means a gesture which is similar to clicking and dragging. So like if you're in like numbers or whatever, you like click and drag. So it looks like they're trying to create gestures to make that sort of stuff easier and being able to drag and drop that around. I like the sound of that, right? Like let's try and be a bit more nimble here. And, and we have 10 point devices. I know that this stuff gets complicated, but these are power user features for work stuff. So I think that sounds fun. Uh, redesigned reminders app, new volume display UI, which is brilliant. So no longer that big square in the middle would hope. Or maybe it's just a bigger square. We don't know, right? <laughs> like maybe, hmm. maybe the volume thing is now just the entire screen. Who knows? Uh, so yeah, th they're kind of, I think, the big things to take away from Guillermo's, uh brilliant report, I would say.
Yeah, the redesigned reminders app he also throws in is going to be on the Mac too, which cool. makes me believe that that'll be a Marzipanified mm-hmm. app um, mm-hmm. this fall. Which is I'm going to miss when they give this an actual name. I like Marzipan as a name, unless it never has a name. I mean, it's possible that it'll never have a name and it'll just be you know UI Kit on Mac. Right, but then that's what we'll have to call it, right? Like eventually, over time, we'll just start calling it UI Kit on the Mac and, and yeah. move away from Marzipan. But I do, I do love Marzipan. Yeah, but it's, Jason. It's good. Is there anything missing for you from this report? Is there stuff that you think you should have seen but didn't? I was going to say, and some of this has to do with the nature of their sources, right? Like, they are detailing some very specific system-level things. However, I will just point out that this report doesn't seem to mention anything about changes to the Files app, to how the iPad accesses files, to if we're going to see the iPad Pro with that nice USB-C port have more ability to access USB-C devices, including devices that have file systems on them. Uh, one of my pet peeves about iOS right now, and I just I just noticed it's not here, not mentioned at all. Not mentioned that it's not coming, just not mentioned. So I'm just going to put it out there that that's one of those areas, uh, file stuff and USB-C in general, that I, 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 you know, audio stuff goes in there too. How, how do they handle microphones and other external devices that are sort of handled in a very simple way now because of the assumptions made in the early days about an iPhone OS that are maybe not as valid with, uh, with the iPad. I'm just saying it'll be really sad if uh, this all comes out and I'm going to have to wait another two years or forever two years and up in order to uh do what i want to do with my ipad i'm gonna choose to believe that there are lots of files changes and they just got missed in this report because i can't i can't conceive of there being no updates to that system because it needs them it like desperately needs them there are just bugs and weirdness in it and it could be and should be and needs to be a lot better uh, it's like just a fundamental, and I'm, I'm not like one of these people that feels like they have to fundamentally rethink the way that files are. Like I, I don't think you need to go to a file-based structure completely, right? Like I don't mind the hybrid system that they've got right now. Like sometimes you think in apps, sometimes you think in files, because that's how my brain thinks. Um, maybe because I've just gotten used to iOS, but I, they're just the the files app needs a lot of work, and I want to see Apple work on that. But I will say this report is making me very excited for June. There's a lot of stuff in there that I think I'm going to have a lot of fun playing with. So I'm really excited. Sure. Yeah. All right. Today's episode is also brought to you by our friends over at Lunar Display, the makers of the hardware solution, the only hardware solution that can turn your iPad into a wireless display for your Mac, meaning you'll have a second display that is mega portable with basically zero lag and stunning image quality that also has the benefits of an iOS device. Like you can use uh, your Apple Pencil, you can use your fingers on this screen, which then becomes the second monitor for your Mac. Setting up extra screens can be super fiddly, but Lunar Display is so easy. You just plug in their lovely dongle into your Mac and you're good to go. Plus, everything works over Wi-Fi, but if you're away from a Wi-Fi connection, maybe you're traveling around, you can use a USB cable to connect it to, and you'll still be able to get that wonderful second display for your Mac. It's so simple to get set up, and you're going to love that extra screen real estate when you have it. Lunar Display is a complete extension to your Mac. It will also work with external keyboards, so you could use like the Smart Keyboard Folio, which I do, and it will work, right? Like It's not just touch and stuff like that. It will all work, which is great. Um, I, I am so impressed with Lunar Display. Uh, I use it every single day now. 
now. Uh, I, you know, listeners of the show will know I have a lunar display in my headless Mac Mini. That's how I use that Mac Mini. I use it for various tasks. I use it to help me jump over hurdles that sometimes iOS falls down on, um, and it's become an indispensable part of the way that I get my work done. I'm so, so happy with it. Um, and they're always updating it. They're doing a bunch of stuff like the new liquid video engine, which brings significantly reduced latency and a faster screen refresh rate as well. Listeners of this show can get an exclusive 10% discount on Lunar Display. If you go to lunadisplay.com, that is L-U-N-A-D-I-S-P-L-A-Y.com and use the promo code UPGRADE at checkout, you will get that 10% off. That is lunadisplay.com and promo code UPGRADE at checkout for an exclusive 10% discount. Go there right now and upgrade your setup. You're going to love it. Our thanks to Lunar Display for their support of this show and all of Relay FM and my working life every day. It's wonderful. Jason, I want to talk to you about iTunes. This is uh, this has been the talk of the town over the last week. We all kind of figured this was coming. It even came up on the show last week, right? Like, hence the, like the title of the whole episode, kind of being about iTunes and QuickTime and all that sort of stuff. Um, but then there was another report at Nine to Five Mac by friend of the show Guillermo Rambos. This is the Guillermo Power Hour today on on Upgrade. <sighs> Um, that the next major Mac OS version will include standalone music, podcasts, and TV apps. We knew the TV app was coming. Books will get a major redesign. Uh, there's some basic details in there, plus some icons as well. Kind of just like more kind of like fuel for the fire uh, that something like this is going to be uh, happening, which means the breakup of iTunes, a thing that we've spoken about forever. Um, there was a very good debate, I think, uh, on ATP this week um, with a sentiment which I can totally understand from Marco of you don't know what you've got until it's gone about iTunes. And I've been thinking this myself a little bit recently where oh, it's for like, sure. when it, when it's dead, <laughs> what, what no. actually happens? And we spent some time talking about this last week on connected as well, where, you know, like me and Federico, we just use Apple music. Right. And right. if there's an Apple music app, it's going to be better than the really bad Apple Music support that iTunes has, right? Because it's very bad. It's 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 super weird in places. The searching is terrible. The the way that you browse feels it feels like it's loading a web browser inside of iTunes, which I'm sure is what's happening. Like it's it's a nightmare. Not a nightmare, but it's it's not nice, right? And for me, as just a complete Apple Music user, I would quite like Apple Music, the iPad app, on my Mac. But I understand, so you've got people like Steven and then people like Marco, people like John. Um, I don't know how much you, you use like these types of features of like the more typical iTunes features, adding in your own music, doing more categorization, looking at more information, like all that kind of stuff. And so the idea over the last few years of it's time to break up iTunes was build an actual new music player right like that's what this has always been for the last few years like pull the music features out of itunes pull the podcast features out of itunes make apps for them it wasn't until now because now this is what's going probably going to happen is let's just have the ios app like no one was thinking that because that wasn't a thing we thought about until last year that this would even be a thing so now when the conversation is iTunes is going to get broken up into a bunch of distinct applications, everyone knows what that means now. What that means now is we're getting the iOS versions. Yeah, I think at the core of what Marco talked about and um, and what John 
also talked about, and I liked what John had to say. I thought that was, I, I was building up all sorts of comments while listening to Marco and then John said them all. So I was like, all right, okay, then we're good. Um, I think the reality, right, reality hits here. This is the cold reality of it's not going to be some idealized, brilliant new Mac app, that set of Mac apps that Apple is writing. It's going to be Marzipan. And it's going to be maybe new updated versions of what's in iOS 12, but that's what it's going to be. And you get that reality and suddenly it's not your ideal uh, dream app. It is what you already have been using on the iPad all along, if you have an iPad. And I think at the core of it, if I'm going to dissect what Marco and John were both saying, especially, it's the a lack of confidence in Apple in terms of Apple's interest in building apps that have depth for users who demand more depth than the average user mm-hmm. I, is the way I would maybe put it. Like that Apple in the past designed apps that were for the masses, but also had tweaky features for the power users. And that Apple of the last decade feels much more like an Apple that is not interested in the tweaky features or is too overwhelmed with whoever is building their apps to devote time to that, that they struggle to update and build their apps as it is, which I think I agree, actually, I think is actually high on my list of my problems that I have with the way Apple is run today is that they seem to not be as focused on their apps as they should be, that the apps they provide are not as good as they should be, and that that they could be better. And it's not the fault of the people working on them. I get the distinct impression that there are not as many people working on them, and there's not as much attention devoted to them as there should be at a like a top level priority level. But um, I see I see that point, which is Apple partly distorted by the fact that Apple has been making mobile apps and the perception. And and uh, John Syracuse had talked about this a lot. Uh, on that ATP episode, the perception is mobile means simplified. And there are lots of good reasons for that. I I, um, I think last week it came up on Upgrade with John that um, I was talking about the difference between Apple making decisions because Apple's been focused on mobile and it comes from that root decision of the iPhone OS is where iOS came from. It came from the small screen iPhone. And Apple shifting its philosophy because the user it was trying to reach in 2000 is not the user it's trying to reach in 2019 or in even in this decade. And something like Smart Playlist feels like a last decade Apple to me, which is that um, Apple seems to have decided, regardless of the, uh, the you know, iPhone thing, <laughs> that it doesn't want to focus on tweaky user features. It wants to keep things yeah. super simple. Apple don't make products for the crazy ones anymore they actually make them for everybody (laughs) yeah i mean this is this goes back to something that we've talked about a lot which is the apple of today is reaching an audience that is massively larger than the Mm -hmm. apple of a decade ago Mm -hmm. and uh of an and even more so of two decades ago Mm -hmm. and i i think the problem is that that means i don't i don't think the size of the power user base has changed accordingly I think that no. it, as a percentage, it keeps getting smaller. And there's a really strong argument to be made that um, that the tweaky stuff shouldn't be prioritized because there's so many other things to do that aren't the tweaky stuff. Now, the problem is, if you're one of the people who uses the tweaky stuff, it's frustrating. Which is I totally us get it. And a lot I of people, am one of those to people show, too. Right? We all do. And the, as well, like I want to say, I just wanted to add on this as well, right? Like because there, there is like this. 
I, I was talking to ATP as I was listening to it because yeah, I, me too. I agree. I actually do agree with the majority of what Marco was saying, but the, the, the power user stuff exists in the same way on iOS. Like the way he is describing himself being a power user on the Mac, I feel that way about iOS. Like I know the things you do that aren't shown. I know right. the keyboard shortcuts that exist that people don't think exist, right? Like, I know the way that you would do a specific drag and drop to get this to work. Like, I know how to get shortcuts to work the way that I want, right? It is nowhere near as complex. It is nowhere near as um, surfaceable as well. Like, that, the power user stuff is easy to find on the Mac. But there are those types... Those type, they're not, It's not gone from iOS. It's just very different. But that that there are these types of power user features like because i'm using them yeah yeah they're, they're different and they're, they don't go as low level as some of yep. this stuff does i mean marco does a lot of his work and i i do a lot of my work with shell scripts and yeah. things that are running that like ios doesn't do that and no. and that's frustrating because that you do you do, do hit a wall but you're right there are power user features and the proportions are very different right there is way the proportions yeah. of power users in the mac is way higher which i understand but but i think the core problem here is apple's philosophy of what its apps should be and the fact that apple is also a uh you know as a company kind of a control freak which means they they spend a lot of time talking about it wouldn't be a problem if any app could have access to the apple music library because then you could just write an app that was better for power users that was that would tweak it and that would be an alternative but there isn't an alternative and the thing you've got is sanded down to the this amazing smoothness but it also means that it's like a featureless surface and you can't get a a toehold you can't get a grip if you're somebody who's trying to do something a little bit out of alignment with what they envision the use of their app as being and i i can see that at the same time you know and this is me being a little optimistic here <laughs> but apple has spent the last 10 years building a or 15 years really almost behind the scenes building a completely new operating system a completely new app platform modifying that operating system to work on larger screens with the ipad dealing with the early days of the smartphone era where it was a huge arms race in terms of feature development and now it's more mature but back then it wasn't and they've got all that going on and they need to write versions of their apps for this new platform and they're maintaining the mac and is it any wonder that the Mac stuff got left by the side of the road, largely? Mm -hmm. It's not. But we live in an era now where the arms race for smartphone stuff has lessened, that Apple is aggressively moving toward this single app platform across its uh, operating systems. And I think that's a real opportunity. I think that's an opportunity for Apple now to invest more effort in its apps in general, and because of Marzipan, that means that it's able to invest that effort in stuff that will be seen on the Mac and the iPad, too, in a way that maybe it didn't do when it was so focused on keeping the iPhone pushing forward. And I think that could benefit Mac users and iPad users. And we'll see, right? It could be the same old story, but I feel like there's at least a ghost of a chance that... Now that Apple doesn't have to either implement the same feature twice in two different code bases or somewhat shared code bases, but you know, you, you get my point. Like, oh, we need to update this feature for the Mac and for iOS. And sometimes they're like, forget it. And they just wouldn't do it on the Mac. Th with Marzipan, this era, like that ends. 
that ends. And instead, whoever's in charge of reminders writes one app. Yeah. And that deploys on the Mac and it deploys on iOS. And and for Apple Music, I think, you know, like John and I talked about last week, iPad users benefit because a lot of this stuff, the Mac metaphors will be extended to the iPad as well when we talk about tear-off popovers and things like that. And the iPad will become more capable too because now you're able to target two platforms. Now, if you like, you're thinking, I might write an iPad, I might focus on the iPad version of my app, or this is an app that really requires the iPad. You're like, eh, iPad, I'm not really going to go there. But if suddenly you can write that app and you can target the Mac and the iPad simultaneously, like, that's a way bigger market. And I, I feel optimistic that developers of these kind of apps are going to look at marzipan and say oh this is great i can make an app that runs on the ipad and the mac and no it may not feel like a classic mac app but it may get more better apps uh, on the platforms and and that part is good so you know i'm not saying that uh, you know people who use apple music on the mac this fall are not going to be like ooh, <laughs> gross what is this thing it's totally going to be a bumpy ride even if they add features to it but in the long run I think that there's a lot of positives for the Mac. I don't disagree with Marco that one of the great concerns here is that the Mac just becomes an operating system that it it doesn't have any of those features that appeal to people who want to dive a little deeper. Mm -hmm. And I, I hope that Apple will take this opportunity now that they've rejiggered their app platform to let Mac and iPad users who want a little bit more get a little bit more out of it. Yeah. Now that they're out of this decade-long period where they've been building a second operating system and a second app platform and in this huge arms race with Android, that that starting from now, they can actually put a little more time into that stuff. It would be just a great waste and a shame if effectively the Mac becomes just a different screen size target for iOS, right? Like, that would just be yeah, a waste. I agree. It would be a waste. Like, I agree, although no I will point. say, I will say that that as the owner of a 12.9-inch iPad Pro, I also think it would be a shame if the power given to a user with a 12-inch MacBook Air was not given to me. Oh, 100%. You, you know right? I'm coming at it from that point, Jason. I so I care about the most, right? And that's, so it, that's so why I'm excited. I'm in the club of people who are excited about the possibility of Marzipan because of what it could do to my iPad, right? Like, all of this potential... In, in new applications and in power, I could have stuff that I'm used to using on my Mac, on my iPad, and vice versa. And that is incredibly exciting to me. Right. Also, by the way, like the pot, we, we're talking a lot about iTunes and Apple Music. Like the podcast app on the Mac is going to be way better than the iTunes podcast experience, in my opinion. Yes, that's why it doesn't But you won't have to use it like, because yeah. Marco's going to do Overcast, presumably, for, in Marzipan if he can, and that will be even better. Mm -hmm. But like, there are lots of other benefits here. I do think there's a lot of mystery about oh, what happens yeah. with device device sync and does that go away? I what I'd like to see. I mean, obviously, iTunes is going to stay around, hidden in a folder somewhere for a while, or mm -hmm. downloadable, or whatever it is. But like, what I would like to see, I think there are some fairly basic things that Apple could do in iOS and macOS to make all of the things that currently exist in terms of all or almost all of the things that exist in terms of device management um, that that people might want could just be taken out and put in the OS. Like in terms of uh, maybe you get file access, you know, if, if they really do have the ability to like share 
files so I could see the contents of my iPad and drag a file into it? Do I need iTunes to do that? Or could this, could these devices just talk to each other? And you can airdrop now, but I wonder if there are some other ways of doing things just to, just to keep them in sync. So, so there's other stuff they can do. I don't think we're rid entirely of iTunes. Um, Windows is still a big question, is what are they going to do on Windows for this? Um, they could just keep iTunes for Windows around forever. I don't know. Um, or they could go to a web interface for most of it and reduce the Windows app to a device syncing app. It's, there's, some, there's some details here that um, we're going to have to deal with. But mm-hmm. there, there is a lot of potential benefit. But there's no doubt, you know, anytime you go through a change like this, there's going to be a huge set of feature aggressions. And I, I think it's interesting that John um, Syracuse in that ATP episode came down basically the same place I've come down on uh, iTunes Match or people who don't subscribe to Apple Music, which is... I don't see how it's a it's actually a big progression for iOS as well to let the music app accept audio files and put them in the library and then upload them if you're using iTunes Match or Apple Music and add them to your collection. Like that's not an earth-shattering UI change to to do to that app and then you've got the ability to open a Mac with the music app and add your library and have it just work. Um, you, you know, as if you had synced it using iTunes um, for people who don't use Apple Music. I, I feel like that's a, a feature that if it's not there this fall, will probably be there eventually. And then, and that's, uh, that's an example of something that uh, presumably would come over to iOS and would be a benefit for if, if you've ever bought like an indie album on Bandcamp or something and gotten a zip file and been like, uh, what do I do with this on iOS? And the answer is, there's nothing you can do with it. You can unzip it, but then you've just got some MP3 files. You can't get them in your music library that from that direction. It would be nice if that was that was a uh, new feature of iOS. That would be a good thing. I know that this is going to come up a lot. Like this isn't the last time we're going to talk about oh boy. this because it's actually it's not about iTunes, right? We all see this, right? Like this is not this is nothing to do with iTunes. In microcosm, it is the story of what's going to happen this fall. Yeah. And progressively, but but the big blow is going to happen this fall and, when a new version of Mac OS yes. ships and it's got a whole bunch of apps that come from iOS and they're not going to be, you know, even if they kind of look like Mac, they're not going to be the same. They're going to be really different. I, you know, I don't want to have to keep reiterating this constantly. This is so much more than all of that. Like, this is the future of Apple one way or yeah. another because, like, we uh, we believe, right, starts here. Then we get ARM Max. Then what happens? And right, you know, there yeah. was that German report a few months ago where he spoke about like it's iPad this year, but then next year it's iPhone, and then the year after that is universal applications. Right? Like this this starts now. It's you know it's kind of started last year, right? We started to find out about it, but now it's like, okay, we're building up to like everything changing in June. Good and bad. So whilst we are talking about iTunes specifically, it's so much more than that. And there's going to be a lot of like people's identities being challenged. Yeah. Yeah, for and, sure. This is going to be, in fact, and, and, and for I know um, so many of our listeners, it's great, by the way. I am, you know, teenager and up, right? I'm up. Um, this is going to be like the OS X transition was in a lot of ways. Where in a two, three year period, the Mac of, you know, before and the Mac of after is almost unrecognizable. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And when you're in that and then you get past it and you're like, oh, yeah, this is my Mac now. But when you're in that period, 
it's weird and it's rough and it does challenge your identity because you're like, I always do it this way. Like there were so many people when Mac OS X came out that they're like, why does the Apple menu not show the contents of a folder or an alias that I put somewhere in the file system? And like as an OS X user today, you'd be like, that's bizarre. I don't even why know what you're talking Apple about. Menu do that? <laughs> I have no idea but what you're But that's about. what it did <laughs> under classic Mac OS and uh-huh. people were really bent out of shape about it. And, and it's going to be, I mean, that's just a silly example, but like, Yes, it is your identity as a person who is confident with your technology, who has spent maybe years bending the technology to do exactly what you want it to do in the way you want to do it. It You've bent it. It's bent you a little bit. You have come to a, a comfort level. And then Apple is going to roll in over the next two or three years and, and make you really uncomfortable. And, uh, you know, again, I think there will be good and I think there will be bad. And I think there will be a lot of frustration. I think yeah. the good news, and I got to say this based on um, my history in all the chip transitions and the OS transition that have happened on this platform, on, on Apple's platforms in the past. The good news is if you can learn to balance your enthusiasm for the new, you've you've been accustomed. I mean, maybe you've already taken a hit with the, the MacBooks over the last three years, but generally you're accustomed to this enthusiasm for the new. Oh, I want to get the new. I want to get the latest and greatest. If you can temper that a little bit, you can survive a transition because nobody's making you move. And that's an important point here is that, you know, if one of the things that happens in these transitions is people stay behind for a while. And I, I would not be shocked if that happens here where people are like, you know what? I'm going to keep my old iMac that still runs Mojave <laughs> And I'm going to stay there for a while with my 32-bit apps and with my stuff that isn't from iOS and with my iTunes. And I'm just going to hang out here for a while. And that happens in big transitions. And that's okay. Like, I, you know, we we had we had devices running classic Mac OS for years at Macworld because we, like, they were where our page layout got done. And they just didn't want to move because like the the software wasn't ready and they just stayed there and we made it work. And then eventually they came across and it was a funny moment where the editors had been living on OS 10 for like four years. And then the production team moved to OS 10 and they're like, how does this work? And we're like, oh yeah, (laughs) let me tell you all about it because we had been living it. Um, That's going to happen and and, and it's going to get frustrating. And, but if you can learn to temper your desire to push forward and use the latest and greatest, it can serve you well in transitions like this. Don't, if you've got something vital that you do um, and it's jeopardized by the new way, the solution is not, is not to use the new way. And, and you'll be able to do that for a while, I think. So something to keep in mind. I don't know how this transition is going to go exactly, but having been through a bunch of them, it's something to keep in mind. Like, I know we all as tech enthusiasts want to push forward and use the latest and greatest. There is no harm in stepping off the carousel for a while and, and, and letting it turn a few turns without you. But And I will say, if you do want to stay on the carousel, the best thing you can try and have is an open mind. Yeah, that's always the case, right? Yeah. Like, like things will be, you know. Again, it's gonna get it's weird. Gonna be, it's gonna be. It's gonna get weird. There are gonna be things that are great, and there are gonna be things that are terrible. That's gonna happen. <laughs> there are gonna be things that you're like, why did they, why do, they do this? this? Why are they like, like the everything? number picker, right? One of the things that happened yes. on Twitter is that Guillermo Rambo posted a tweet or or maybe Steve Trout and Smith did and he uh replied to it but it was one of these things it was like wouldn't it be funny if Marzipan didn't shake that change that number picker from Mojave where you've got the iOS thing with the spinning things that you have to use a mouse to like click the spinning things to set a date it's this ridiculous thing 
that should not be on a Mac. And uh, the strong implication there is that maybe it's still there. And we're going to have stuff like that. We're like, why would you do this? And, and that's going to that's gonna happen. There are also going to be things where you're like, oh, this is really cool. And that's going to happen too. It is going to get weird. You are absolutely right. And some patience, open-mindedness, because, because part of this is the, you've got that way that you've bent your tech to your will and it's bent it you to it a little bit and you found this comfortable place to be. There is a new, there may very well be, not 100% guarantee, there will be a new place to be. It's not going to be like your old place, though. It's not going to work the same. And getting there is frustrating. Now, first off, you don't have to go there right away, like I said. But um, but it can be frustrating to build up that new thing. And then once you build it up, you're like, oh, what was the problem? Like, seriously, OS X did that to so many people where OS X, the rules were totally different from classic Mac OS. But um, there were lots of benefits and there were some things that really lagged behind. And we all found a new equilibrium. And I think that will happen with marzipan and potentially with arm coming down the road as well but it's going to be weird for a while for sure and there's going to be frustration and that's okay like and, and and so i heard that from marco like i get it and he's not wrong there's i think there's some good and there's some reason to be optimistic but there's going to be stuff that's really frustrated and i my honestly listening to marco my core worry and i do actually have this as a concern my core worry is that where apple's going Apple is so unconcerned with the needs of power users that in the end, if you want to be an old school computer user with all of these things that are features that you expect from your desktop or laptop computer, that in the next decade, there will come a time when Apple even says, yeah, if you want to do stuff like that, you should just buy a PC. But how how do you balance that worry of what Apple's going to do with the same company who bent to the will of the pro user to create a new Mac Pro, an iMac Pro, and to, we believe, based on rumors, fix the MacBook Pro? That is the reason for optimism, is that whoever got, while this marzipan stuff is going on, some group within Apple made the decision that they actually need to serve pro users. And that gives me hope, right? Because because that Apple doesn't want to send power users to Windows. That Apple wants to keep them on the Mac. And as long as that Apple has a say in what happens on the Mac, and maybe it's outside Marzipan, right? Maybe Marzipan is just the the uh, Marzipan. It's the, maybe it's like the frosting on a, oh on a cake. Um, maybe it really is. And that underneath on the Mac, they have all the other things that you expect on the Mac and they don't go away and they do get improved. Maybe that's the case. Maybe that is their strategy is marzipan is for everybody, but the Mac is still going to have the power underneath. And I hope that's the case because I don't want Apple to drive power users off of their operating systems because I am one and I don't want to go. I'm not interested in like all these people talk about the MacBook keyboards and they're like, oh, I could just go to Windows. I'm like, yeah, that's a deal breaker. I'm not going to do that. I'm not interested in that. But it doesn't mean that I'm not frustrated by the current state of affairs. Today's show is also brought to you by Squarespace. Make your next move with Squarespace because they will let you easily create a website for your next idea. With a unique domain name, award-winning templates available to you, and so much more, they are the all-in-one platform that will let you put your next project online. No matter what type of website you want to create, Squarespace have all the tools. If you want to create a blog, portfolio, and online store, they have all of it. If you want to create a site for a community event, maybe for a big 
party, a wedding. They have all of the templates and all of the functionality you're going to need to make that so easy to do. There's nothing to install or patch or upgrade. You don't need to know any coding. You don't need to worry about any of it. Even if you do know how to build a website, but you just can't be bothered to do all of the really fiddly stuff, Squarespace do all of it. It's beautiful. It's easy to use. You can have a website going in like 20 minutes, right? You just go in, you choose one of their beautiful templates. You customize. It's like with customization, going in and changing colors, changing fonts. It's so easy to do. I am such a big fan of Squarespace. I've been using them for like 10 years now. Maybe probably more than that, actually. And I will. Con- I have other projects in my life that I want to do. And Squarespace is where they will live because I know how to use it. It's so simple. They have 24-7 customer support. You can get a unique domain name. Just register it all within Squarespace. It's fantastic. They've won tons of awards. They win an award from me. You win the Mike Hurley, I like you Squarespace award. Uh, you can go and try it out right now with no credit card required. Go to squarespace.com slash upgrade. You can get a free trial there. You can actually build your entire website so you know what you're going to get. You can see all the functions. And then when you're ready to put it live to the world, you just sign up on their plans to start at just $12 a month. But if you use the offer code upgrade, you will get 10% of your first purchase of a website or domain and show your support for this show. That is squarespace.com slash upgrade and the code upgrade for 10% of your first purchase. Our thanks to Squarespace. Make your next move. Make your next website. Let's do some hashtag ask upgrade questions to round out this week's episode. First one comes from MT Walker, and they want to know, should I hold out for the mythical, magical, modular Mac Pro, or should I settle for an iMac Pro? I'm currently using a 2013 Mac Pro with 12 cores, 64 gigabytes of RAM, and a D700 GPU. I don't know what some of that stuff means, Jason, I'm not going (laughs) to lie, Uh, but in Matt's tweet, they posted uh, an image of uh, Activity Monitor, and it was doing some Adobe Media encoding stuff. It looks like that they are a Premiere Pro user. And it seems like basically they need all the power they can get. Yeah, I. Um, it depends, as it always does, on how long you're willing to wait. Because I think at this point, we're two months out from possibly hearing more details about at, the Mac uh, From Pro. at least understanding a little bit more about what it might be. And you right. might not want to make your decision. It might be that you see that and you're like, no, the iMac Pro is probably good for me. And and then you go for it. Um, but, uh, you know, leading from what I think you were going to say, I wouldn't, uh, unless you are having significant issues, I wouldn't want to move right now. Yeah, I think that's right, that there there is... Um, there is a thing coming in a couple of weeks, a couple of months, that may tell us more, and so that more information is good. Also, the iMac Pro, yeah, you know, hasn't been updated since yep. December 2017 when it was released, which means I don't think there's new stuff for it. But it means that if it's going to be updated, um, presumably that would happen at some point, and it hasn't been. So, uh, keep that in mind. What I said earlier about how you know the high spec. Uh, iMac will kind of reach the low spec iMac Pro. That said, iMac Pro is great. It will, you can buy it with lots and lots of cores and lots of RAM and that's all good. Um, I I think you could get it. I think the other thing to keep in mind is what your feeling is about monitors because all the rumors are that the new Mac Pro will come alongside a new Apple monitor that will be presumably newer, bigger, sleeker, more beautiful and if you want that monitor then wait because you can you'll be able to get that with the 
with the uh, the Mac Pro. Although presumably a modern iMac will drive that monitor too, just fine, as a second monitor. So there's a lot of stuff going on here. I would say if you can afford to wait and find out what the deal is with this Mac Pro um, and then make a judgment then, um, go ahead and wait. Because the I think the iMac Pro is great and it will serve you well. But if you can wait a couple of months, wait and see, because that may answer your question. And it would be a shame to commit now to buy the iMac Pro that's been sitting out there for more than a year, when in two months, you'll know, hopefully, a little bit more about whether the Mac Pro will suit you. Here's an interesting question from Eric. What's happened to Photoshop for iPad? We haven't heard about it in a while, (laughs) and we're a third of the way through the year. Two-thirds of the year remains. All they said was 2019. Yeah. I would not be surprised if this is a WWDC thing. Uh, It might not be. It could come out any day. Or it could come out uh, at WWDC. It could come out announced for iOS 13. Yep. it's for As we kind of said at the time, I think, still might need some stuff that's not in iOS yet. Right, like that they know is coming because they're working together. Right, like we that was very clear from the original announcements that like Apple and Adobe working very closely together on some of this stuff, and I think helping push each other forward in for this stuff. Um, Yeah, I agree. Like it is strange that we haven't heard about it at all for a while. Right, like there's not really been anything else. It came out with such a bang, and it was all this like it felt like for a few weeks, always getting was information, and then it stopped. And you know, I can understand what has been the avenue. Like, where would they have? What was the outlet for showing it? Right, or maybe there just isn't much more to show. Um, so I I understand where it's like, huh? What happened to that? And I always thought it would be out by now. Like my mind, I don't remember the off uh, offhand. I don't remember that the, if they gave any kind of time frame. It was probably just twenty nineteen. But I always kind of thought, oh well, if they've announced it in like August, September, we'll have it by the end of Q one. But that didn't happen. Um, and I think that you know probably a lot of other people like me thought that right. Like they're they're announcing it like six months early, and we'll get it. Uh, mm-hmm. It's definitely happening, you know. Like we've we've had quite a few uh, versions of this question asked to us, Jason, and many of them are kind of like, it's obviously been cancelled. Right? It's like no, yeah. no, 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 no. This is happening uh, because it's too important for both companies now. Not only did they announce it, but like there's a reason they're doing it in the first place, and that hasn't changed. Um, but yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if, like you, we get uh, we get more about it in June with a with a date. Um, for for when we're likely to see it uh, come out for the iPad. Daniel asks, do you know of a way to transfer music from an iPod Touch third generation to a MacBook Pro? I've been trying to figure out a way to transfer my mom's music from her old iPod Touch to her iPhone 7 Plus. I have to think about this one. I have a couple of options, and I think they'll work, and maybe you can tell me if I'm right or wrong. There are apps like iExplorer, which I haven't used in a long time, but this is one of those applications that like will let you get in to uh, an iOS device and kind of tinker around. And I, I, you never really know what to think about with apps like that, but I have used this one in the past for similar kinds of things where it's like, well, there's a thing that I need and I need to do, and I haven't got any other way of getting to it or doing it, like messages backups or whatever, right? Right. Um, but my other thought was, if you signed up for iCloud Music Library, 
wouldn't that just do it? I don't think it'll upload from the iPod Touch. Really? Okay. I don't think so. Because I was wondering, I don't like, know, w- maybe would it merge the the libraries? But then I was worried about like, oh, but what if it then just deleted it all? So, um, things like iExplorer, like iExplorer has a trial. Uh, I would give that a go and see if that will do it. If that doesn't do it, maybe look into something like iCloud Music Library, but proceed with caution. I think would yeah. be would be my thought on that one. This is a tricky one. I mean, another one that I thought, Jason, was like, if you did an iTunes backup, would that carry it over? Possibly. The question is, can you then back up an old, old iPod Touch to a brand new iPhone? Or will there be an, uh, you know, will that work where you can just restore the backup even though it's from the older operating system? It's possible if it's, if it's, say, depends on what those files are and where they're from. Yeah. Yeah. So this is a, this is a very interesting question. Uh, But I don't know the answer, but I know of a couple of ways to do it. There's another app which has been recommended by Justin in the chat room called iMazing. Um, Amazing, yeah. Uh, I, I don't remember which one of these I've used, honestly, but they seem to be, by and large, the same kind of thing. But again, uh, these apps are doing weird things, so always proceed yeah. with caution yeah. on that would be the upgrade uh recommended use um mihir asks did you get your avengers endgame tickets i'm wondering if there will be a following monday uh mike at the movies special what what, did you get your tickets jason i haven't bought any tickets but that's not going to preclude me from being able to see it i don't live in a place where movie theaters sell out and you get reserved seats so okay i did and i get to see it on the 25th of april because tax cuts uh for disney means that uh, a lot of these movies are shot in the uk which means that they uh either premiere here or they come out a little bit earlier um so i'll be seeing it on the 25th uh, in the afternoon like it, it comes out midnight 25th here right but i yeah i don't think i could do a midnight a midnight stream a midnight it's watch. three hours it's a three hour movie mike yeah i'm not keen not keen on that so no. i'm just gonna go see no. it on the 25th which i'm very excited about Yes, I, I will see it that weekend, too. So, we But we're not going to be doing uh, Mike at the Movies about it on this show. Uh, That's true, actually. We aren't. No. We aren't. And the reason we aren't is because, uh, you know, you never, you never know. But the plan is that the following weekend's Incomparable episode mm-hmm. will include one Mike Hurley on, on his first ever main Incomparable show appearance yep. which i am mm-hmm. so very excited and for a reason i can't describe really nervous about so that's gonna be a whole thing uh it doesn't really happen to me anymore jason but like that's a different arena it's like more well, mike's weird movie opinions yeah. <laughs> guide him through the show only you can find out so that that's gonna be is that that it's like the is it that weekend or the next weekend? I don't remember. It's, I think. it's the following, following Saturday. Weekend. Great. So so, so we will have, you will have a week to think about it, ponder it. It's very possible I'll go see it again. And uh, maybe see it a second time. Yeah. yeah. And finally, Daniel wants to know, I want to get a new Mac Mini. Do you think it would be able to drive the new Apple monitor full resolution and frame rate, or should I wait until it's announced to be sure? I think it will. Yeah. I'd be super yeah, surprised. Uh I'd be super surprised. I, I, Look, there's, I think there's a reason that they colored that that Mac Mini space gray. It is more <laughs> focused as a pro machine. I mean, they yeah. really kind of did say it as that. And uh, 
the laptops will 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 be able to use that thing. I would be I would be flabbergasted if there is a, a Mac that is released right now that that can't power it because that just seems wild to me. So, but we'll yeah, see. I mean, keep in mind that that Mac Mini can drive um, a um, pretty yeah. powerful display, right? Yeah. It can it can drive. It's rated for um, fifty one twenty by twenty eight eighty resolution. So yeah, I I I would be shocked if it can't. I, I can't it can guarantee do, it. Like but... a couple of monitors, right? As well, like it's you know it's got some real throughput. Yeah, it can do up to up to uh, two displays, where one of them is fifty one twenty by twenty eight eighty, and the other one is forty ninety six by twenty one sixty. That's a lot of pixels. So, to you know, is it going to be able to drive via Thunderbolt three? Uh, this thing, I, I, I've got to think it will. If you would like to submit a question uh, for a future episode, you can send out a tweet with the hashtag AskUpgrade, and it will be included uh, into our document, and maybe we'll answer it on the show. Uh, thank you so much to everybody that has sent one in. Thank you to Squarespace, Luna Display, and KiwiCo for their support of this week's episode. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to find Jason's work online, you can go to sixcolors.com or theincomparable.com. Jason is at jsnell, J-S-N-E-L-L on Twitter. I am at iMike, I-M-Y-K-E, and this show is a part of Relay FM where you'll find many shows. Some I am on, some Jason's on, and some are hosted by neither of us, but by equally talented, if not more talented, individuals we have many wonderful shows at relay fm if you only listen to upgrade or maybe you listen to upgrade and one other go take a look uh because i bet there's something else that you would love um we'll be back next week uh remember we were going to be recording and releasing on tuesday for no reason other than travel uh yep. must no conspiracy theories please mm-hmm. well you can make them but understand that they are uh they're not it's true it's just a regular episode mm-hmm. i'm going to travel for a family mm-hmm. wedding mm-hmm Mm, that's what they want you to think goodbye everybody say goodbye Jason Snell (laughs) goodbye everybody the black dog barks at midnight wink wink